The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Get him! Get him! Yeah! Good boy! Come on, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Any time that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> All right, we're in Walsenburg, Colorado. I'm honored to sit down with Dan Gates with Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management. And this is just going to be an update. You're going to hear a lot of these this year because we're not going to let this thing die. Colorado is the battleground state for houndsmen in 2024. In my mind, what's going to happen here in Colorado is going to set a precedence, and it's either going to show the anti-hunting community that they can move in and take advantage of uh, houndsmen and manipulate regulations about predator management and all this other garbage. So that's why I'm calling it the battleground state for 2024. And I'm, I'm happy to have be sitting down in person with Dan Gates. So welcome, Dan. Thank you very much, Chris. Appreciate the opportunity. Oh yeah, man. I'm telling you what, you're leading the charge on this thing. I think it's uh, you've got you've got years of experience, decades of experience with with this. And I'm not. We recorded another podcast. I'm not sure if it's going to come out before this one or after this one. <laughs> <clears throat> we'll just play it by ear. So, 
uh, we'll clean all that stuff up in the in the forefront to really talk about what CRWM is and what you guys have done and and all that stuff. But I think it's imperative that that we get information out there that's pertinent to our audience and get people involved. And we're even going to talk about the fact of how we get people involved and why it's so damn hard to get people off their asses and get them involved. And this is one that we've got to be involved. Doesn't matter if you're a squirrel hunter with a dog in Tennessee or you're chasing field mice with your with your rat terrier on the plains of South Dakota. I don't care if you hunt with a dog, you got to pay attention and we need all hands on deck for this one. I think we need all hands on deck and we need every level of engagement from the top to the bottom and where we're at right now. I mean, there's a lot of questions on the landscape, Chris, um, about, you know, what does this mean and, and what do I do and how do I engage? And, and while we don't have all the answers, we're hoping to be able to at least answer some of those questions, but this is going to be an adaptive conversation over the course of the next, you know, 13 months until November 5th of mm -hmm. 2024. Um, but we, we have to, we have to call audibles or if you were ever a fan of the Denver Broncos, when Peyton Manny was here, I mean, we, we need to figure out a way to have some Omaha's Omaha. And, Omaha. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and we're in, we're in that fight right now. And, and we were, I, I'm a Peyton Manning fan when he was in Indianapolis <laughs> yeah. when he was a Colt. Okay. Yeah, well, let's get that. He stayed within the horses, but yeah, yeah. he, he stayed, he stays over here though now. See, yeah, that's, <laughs> so. right, that's right. Yeah. Uh, just move your mic around in front of your mouth a little bit because this room's kind of echoey. Okay. I want to make sure that we don't uh, get a bunch of feedback and stuff in no, the room. I, but I understand. Yeah. So why don't we, you just lay out what we're actually talking about here because we kind of came in and, and started talking about something going on. Just start right from the beginning on what we're talking about. So I'm going to back up a little bit. And uh, in 2019 – the the anti-hunting coalitions approached the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission with a anti-harvest for for bobcats that we defeated unanimously with this animal rights governor's personal appointments. Mm -hmm. um, in 2020, they came back again and we defeated them unanimously. In 2021, they expanded their horizons and tried to incorporate mountain lions and lynx, and we defeated them at the commission one more time, three times in a row. In 2022, they came back right at the beginning of the legislative session in, in 2022 with a legislative bill, Senate Bill 31, to ban the harvest of mountain lions, bobcats, and lynx. And as most people are aware of, lynx are federally and state protected uh, throughout the lower 48. That was just fluff to yeah, add to just it. to add the sensationalize yeah. it. Yep, sensationalize it. And we were told that we would lose by a margin of 4 to 1 through the Senate Ag Committee. And, and we, we fought diligently in 13 days' notice to, to – put a great showing at the Colorado State Capitol. And we won that by the margin of four to one when we were told we were going to lose four to one. In the interim, since then, uh, Governor Polis has decided to put more animal rights oriented individuals into all positions of wildlife management and agricultural management uh, through the Department of Ag and through Colorado Parks and Wildlife and the Department of Natural Resources. Since then, they've gained uh, significant support, and their armament has been built up to the level now that they've dropped an initiative to run a ballot measure to give the general public the opportunity to vote on prohibiting the harvest of mountain lions, bobcats, and lynx for 2024. Mm -hmm. uh, the interesting thing about that is, is if you read the title of that, it specifically says prohibit trophy hunting. Right. 
And, and while somebody might think that this is just a bobcat or a lion or a lynx issue, there again, which we can't harvest lynx anyway, it specifically mentions in the language that trophy hunting means intentionally killing, wounding, or entrapping a mountain lion, bobcat, or a lynx. Intentionally harvesting or intentionally killing is hunting. Mm-hmm. It's not trophy hunting. It's their definition of trophy hunting. Right. And the bigger picture behind this is it's not about it's not about hounds. It's not about predator calls. It's not about cage traps, which, by the way, is the only thing that we can use here now because they took trapping away in 1996 as a constitutional amendment. It's not about any of that. It's the fact that it specifically says killing. It doesn't matter whether it's a 100-pound mountain lion or a 190-pound mountain lion. What all does it say again? It says killing, it's wounding. A, Killing, wounding, or entrapping a mountain or entrapping. Lion, a bobcat or a lynx, and uh, and so if you interpret that just for this specific argument, we don't have a definition in the state of Colorado in the Colorado statutes, the regulatory issues, the, the Colorado Constitution that defines trophy hunting. Mm-hmm. If this is actually actually voted on and passed by the voters, it could set the precedent for definition on trophy hunting. And not just for lions, bobcats, and other stuff, but then you then you put everything else into it. And there's a backstory to that that just came out today as well about trophy hunting. But people need to understand this is an all-out assault on every form that you could possibly get. It incorporates hounds. It incorporates archery. It incorporates rifle. It incorporates muzzleloaders. It incorporates predator calls. It incorporates trapping for, for bobcats that we can do. We can't trap mountain lions here because they're, they're classified as a big game animal. It incorporates all those methods of take in any way, shape, or form because it says killing, wounding, or entrapping. And then you subsection that with trophy, trophy hunting. Those are things that people need to be aware of because I've run into in the last – 12 days since this initiative was made public, uh, you know, a guy that bird, bird hunts and he has Brittany Spaniels or a guy mm-hmm. that waterfowl hunts and has black labs. Well, I don't hunt lions, gates, you know, it doesn't really bother me. Well, if you can incorporate all of these methods of take under that trophy hunting deal on what is cruel and inhumane, you tell me what's next on the list after this. Right. It's not just about you and I and a few lion hunters and some trappers in the state that harvest some bobcats and some mountain lions. It's every single component of harvest that we do for regulated wildlife management and the North American model of wildlife management. That's a scary thought to think that uh, people would even be sitting back thinking whether or not if you're, if, if you're a hunter, if you're an outdoorsman, even if you just enjoy looking at wildlife, that's, I can kind of understand how people would not understand that, but you know, being an elk hunter, you need to be involved. If you're a sheep hunter, you need to be involved doesn't matter. I mean, everything is on the table here. This is a gateway into complete infiltration and defining, taking, taking the, the forms of ethical hunting that we've all enjoyed for years and putting a definition and calling it trophy hunting. If they can get there, we're screwed. Let me read you something that just came out today, five hours ago, by a gal by the name of Trish Zornio. And she put it in the Colorado Sun, and she's an editorial writer. Her headline today says, What do mountain lions, bighorn sheep, and black bears all have in common? They're being trophy hunted in Colorado on private ranches and lands for thousands of dollars. She's decided to bring black bears 
mm-hmm. and bighorn sheep into the op-ed conversation, which doesn't have anything to do with the ballot initiative. Right. But if you don't think that it's connected, you're misguided. Read between the lines. You know, because whatever, whatever the HSUS, Center for Biological Diversity, Wildlife Guardians, whatever whacked out group comes out, it's not what it appears to be on the surface. It never is. No. It's, it's always just, you know, death by a thousand cuts. And I, I'll just say it's the reason that they, they're going after mountain lions and the form, especially the use of hounds here, is because they expect us to be unorganized. You know, one of the things that's commonly said among wildlife professionals is the one group that, you, you know, which one group you can count on not to show up? Sportsmen. Hunters. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is going to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's frustrating because what we do at the Coloradoans for Responsible Wildlife Management is try to co- collaborate and collectively organize our efforts on multiple levels. Uh, I'm speaking on behalf of the association right now. But I'm also the president for the Colorado Trappers and Predator Hunters Association. Mm-hmm. I run and operate a wildlife control business. Everything that has happened to me over the course of the last 30 years, legislatively and citizens petition-wise or ballot initiative-wise, has affected me and my livelihood to be able to turn around and operate, make a living, and help to manage wildlife under the North American model. The attacks and the assaults have affected me personally. Not everybody. I mean, maybe it's taken away that somebody doesn't have the opportunity but if they were never engaged in it, it didn't really take anything away from them because they never did it. You know, it's, I guess it would be like looking at an Amish guy that doesn't drive. If you, if you take his license away, big deal. You know, right. He's not going to drive. Uh, well, if, if somebody doesn't elk hunt, no big deal if they take elk, elk hunting away. If somebody doesn't lion hunt, no big deal if they, don't, if they take lion hunting away. The, the component of this, and if I can read what they've actually put into writing for this. Yep, go ahead. And the, man, and the people need to understand because this would be the actual legislation that would be put in after the people of Colorado voted for it, if they're so inclined. But it specifically says the voters of Colorado find and declare that any trophy hunting of mountain lions, bobcats, or lynx is inhumane, serves no socially acceptable or ecologically beneficial purpose, and fails to further public safety. Trophy hunting is practiced primarily for the display of an animal's head, fur, or other body parts, rather than for utilization of the meat. Moreover, it is almost always conducted by unsporting means, including, but not limited to, using packs of dogs with electronic devices to pursue and entrap affected animals in places from which they cannot escape in order to achieve the kill. Therefore, it is appropriate and necessary to ban trophy hunting of mountain lions, bobcats, and lynx in Colorado. That's the section one that they will put into the Colorado Revised Statutes and they will add that to 33-4101.4 into the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Regulations if they pass that. Then it goes into the entire definitions of the, of the, of the entire initiative. And I don't, I don't want to turn around and scare anybody any further than what I have, but they can look up the initiative if they're so inclined. Yeah, I've read it. Yeah, and, it, and it's, it's pretty encompassing as to what they're trying to do whether you read the first title, whether you read any line into there, or whether you read the whole thing. Well, Dan, you know, the part, what are we going to do here? Because <laughs> at what point do you look at the language in that and start picking it apart and, and read the part about it serves no social 
It ser- serves no socially acceptable, acceptable or ecologically beneficial purpose and okay. fails to further public safety. Okay. There's three three parts there. Socially acceptable. You know, I think that's a broad term. I think that could be easily uh, looked at. It might not be socially acceptable within a small geographic area, but by and large, the landmass of Colorado, 5.8 million people living in Colorado, 5.2 million live on in Boulder, Colorado, mm-hmm. and and so and Denver, the the front range there. You know, it may not be socially acceptable in downtown Denver, but for the rancher that's trying to ranch sheep on the western western slope. I mean, it's pretty damn acceptable for them. You bet. And it's acceptable for the professional outfitters here. It's, professional, it's acceptable for the – you come to a place like Walsenburg, Colorado, and there's a whole different mindset, but the, the voting public is not – the voting power is not there. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's – what What about that? I mean, how, how can we defeat that? I just – Pick that slide off right from Colorado Parks and Wildlife presentation at yep. at Outdoorsman Day. 5.8 million people in the whole state, 5.2 million of them. We can just we can go ahead and say that a lot of those people are going to vote for this ban. They're going to vote for it because they're uh, why un, uninformed. Yes, they're uneducated. Yes, that it's not in their wheelhouse. Right, they don't engage in that. Just like what I talked about the the Amish guy or the elk hunter. If you take their stuff away that they don't engage in, who cares? Right. That's what's happening to this to this type of uh, legislation or ballot-driven agenda. If they take it away from somebody that doesn't engage, well, why shouldn't I vote for it? Why shouldn't I not care? I, I think that we've gotten to a point to where we've, we have fell into a trap from the sportsmen and women community. We've got more organizational power than, than what most people would give us credit for. We have more representation. We've got, we've got decent money that comes in. We have passion and drive because of what we do for our avocational opportunities. Some of us make money off of some of the stuff and some of us don't. But we don't go against the North American model of wildlife conservation. But most of the people that we're going to talk to during this campaign don't even know what that is. They don't know what the conservation model is. They don't know who CPW is. They don't know that their taxes don't go in to fund the actual efforts of what CPW does because it doesn't. It's mm-hmm. done off of hunting and fishing licenses. They don't know that the that the groups that are initiated into this process put more time, effort, money, resources, and intestinal fortitude into this process because it doesn't affect them. Have you got the Have you got the model handy? I don't have I don't have it handy. The North American model. I want I want to read through just the the tenets of the model so that we understand exactly what we're talking about. Because um, let's not be throwing dart throwing darts at the the public in Denver that doesn't know because we've talked about this before. the The hunting public doesn't know. They can't talk intelligently about it. And I think it's important that, that we lay that information out here right now so that everybody understands. If, if, if you're a lion hunter and a houndsman in the state of Colorado and you're at Thanksgiving in a few weeks and your aunt from Denver asks why you should be able to hunt mountain lions, you need to be able to quote, quote her the North American model. You need to have your, you need to have your crap together and be prepared with a narrative, which is what we've talked about a thousand and fifty times on this podcast. 
it's all about the narrative. It's about being able to explain who we are and what we do and what values we add. So let's run through that model real quick. So the, the North American model is a, is a core principles, a set of core principles. It's seven tenets <laughs> that, that actually establish how wildlife has been managed and guided over the course of the last 125 plus years. The first tenet of the model is wildlife as a public resource. Mm-hmm. It's a trust. It's a public trust resource. All wildlife shall be held in public trust. Exactly. And, and, and people need to understand the common law about that specific component. Because what affects somebody that says it's a public trust? Well, it's my public trust too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm part of the public. And the management objectives that have been instilled over the last 125 years fall under that public trust. Right. Another one is the elimination of markets for game. Now, that means something to the effect of the meat and degradation and erosion of game populations through ill-regulated management or harvest. There's a component in there that I want to mention, though, because fur bearer and trapping has been highly criticized by the opposition because they say it says elimination of markets for game. There's a complete exception and exemption that has been explained by Valerius Geist and Shane Mahoney and all the other peer-reviewed individuals about the classification of fur-bearing species and where they come from, how they're managed, and the resource that can be utilized. There's an exception in the model about fur-bearing species mm-hmm. that are highly regulated and highly abundant. We're talking about we're talking about gator poaching. We're talking about you know the the uh, uh, buffalo trade we're talking about sale of meat sale of meat sale of meat the market hunting that took place on the chesapeake bay with punt guns yep i mean that's what this is talking the lacey act of 1900 effectively made market hunting illegal in the united states and the migratory bird treaty act of 1918 provided international protections from the market that's specifically segmented into geographical classifications and species classifications Yep. yep The other one of the other tenets, the third one, is allocation of wildlife by law. Wildlife is allocated to the public by law as opposed to market principles, land ownership, or other status. We're not like Britain. We're not like Germany. We have this component where wildlife is managed by law that other places don't have. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the, the law, the, the old system of wildlife management, all, all wildlife belong to the king. Exactly. And in the United States, this North American model would say it belongs to the people. It All doesn't belongs. belong to the king. Yep. And, and, and what falls under that law is Bald and Golden Eagle Protection Act, the Endangered Species Preservation Act, the First Seal Act of 1966, the Marine Mammal Protection Act of 1972, the Endangered Species Act of 1973. All of those things fall under that law. But if you really look at it, it also goes under the market side of it, right. of what was available and what was usable and utilized. And that's how those tenants were originally established. Number four, wildlife should be only killed for a legitimate purpose. That's where the fur bearer side of it comes in because the utilization of fur, especially for indigenous cultures and people, is actually utilization for a legitimate purpose. Mm-hmm. Under the North American model, the killing of game must be done only for food, fur, self-defense, and the protection of property, including livestock. That's what it should hold to. Yep. Our opposition is trying to degrade, erode, and bastardize every single level of the North American right. model. And so when you're talking about bobcat and mountain lions, I'm telling you, if you're listening to this podcast, 
lion hunters and bobcat hunters eat that meat. I've had bobcat fajitas. I've had mountain lion stew. I've had mountain lion that that we've ground up into uh, uh, sausage and and made sausage out of Mm -hmm. it. It's delicious. It's wonderful. So that's a complete lie and a debunking of of the article that you read a few minutes ago where we did not use anything for food. That's ridiculous. We do. And part of the component here in Colorado and most of the western United States is mountain lions, for instance, are classified as big game animals. And big game animals have to be harvested and the food has to be prepared for human consumption. Right. And Colorado is the only state that I know of that is where it's legal to hunt mountain lions and there's already a, a stipulation in the code that says it has to be how's it say it? it needs to be removed from the field carcass taken care of which makes it suitable for, and edible for human, human consumption, consumption. Yep, yep exactly so that if, if if anybody is not doing that like our opposition alleges then they are a poacher, they are a violator, they are a violator of the law, they need to be reported, and I think anybody on our side would 100% agree with that. Yep. It's just that they're trying to classify every single one of us in some category because they don't think, they don't think that it should be utilized for any purpose. We're going to make some outlines too, and we're going we're to go to Denver, and we're just going to, it's going to look like Costco stand. <laughs> it's going to, what you got here? Just try it and see what you think. It's I think there's a, there's there's some value in that. But look at the article that I read just a minute ago talking about bighorn sheep and bear. Absolutely. Those are those are both those are both big game animals classified in Colorado. The meat has to be prepared for human consumption by law. There's a lot of people that like bear, and there's a hell of a lot of people that like bighorn sheep. Oh yeah. I mean, if anybody's not had it, they should. And you would relish it. Now, the only bad part is that because of the sheep populations and as many hunters that there are that would like to harvest the sheep, uh, there's not enough to go around for everybody. Yeah. Uh, but but there's 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 plenty of, of food fare out there that people can engage in. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean that somebody else doesn't. Right. Yeah. Number five, I think, it says, yeah. wildlife is considered an international resource. As wildlife do not exist only within fixed political boundaries, effective management of these resources must be done internationally through treaties and the cooperation of management agencies. That's like the Migratory Bird Act from Canada going to the United States, down into Mexico and South America. Yep. That, those are the protections that go along with that. Right. And that's why we established that stuff. The antis didn't do that. They didn't even know the difference between ducks or they left from one spot to another. They didn't give a crap about this stuff 125 years ago. No, this and was put in place by hunters. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I, I could go on a whole tirade, but we're, I know there's a lot of ground we've got to cover. But Num- Number, what would it be, six? Six. Yeah. Science is the proper tool for discharge of wildlife policy. Wow. Science is the proper tool. Now, imagine a world where you could take the emotional charged opinion – out of this whole thing oh they're so beautiful you know that that side of it i think they're beautiful oh, yeah. i absolutely have a deeper appreciation for a mountain lion than any person that's ever seen one on facebook you know when you walk in there and you're standing there face to face with a predator that i i'm i'm so deeply invested in that on a lot of levels but it's also a deal where um as part of a natural world, I've taken it upon myself to insert, insert myself into his world and help manage that population. But the science-based, 
That that addresses this second thing right yes. here. Ecological yes. value. It, it addresses it, except for the fact that the opposition that I continually refer to wants to debunk and de degrade and erode the North American model. If they can do that, then their their task is almost complete. Well, I can tell you how it gets eroded is when hunters don't know what it is. Well, that, you're exactly right. Yep. I mean, you know, it's it's like it's like asking somebody, "Do you like football?" Well, I've never seen it. Uh, I mean, that's part of our problem that we're trying to do. Ask somebody if they've ever been a bit, been to Disney World and get their opinion on it. Well, if they haven't been there, it's kind of right. hard to give their opinion. You know, I said I said this at Outdoorsman Days, and we'll get to the next tenant here just just uh, momentarily. But at Outdoorsman Days, I don't think you were there. Maybe you were that night. But I looked around at the room. You had 300 people in the room, and I said. Who in this building know who's, who they voted for and who they elected? Can you tell me that? And people started looking around at the tables, and I'm on the podium up on top. And there was a lot of people that sat around there that, I mean, a lot that didn't know who their elected officials were. If you don't know who the elected officials are, you don't know the tenets of the model. You don't know the arguments of fair chase. You don't know the, the, the practicality of science-based wildlife management. If you can't argue and debate with our opposition— how the hell do you go out and educate the ones that are in the middle of the road? I see it all the time, Dan. I mean, I, I, I see guys that, that they know how to work a Garmin. They can run a radio. They can drive a truck. They can do all this stuff at one time, keeping track of hounds and knowing what it's, you know, seven different hounds are doing on the mountain, and they're really good at all that stuff. But they have no working working understanding. They don't have, a, you know, where they can they can – articulate why and i'm talking about articulation and struggling with my words here <laughs> they have no they have no working knowledge of the things that keep them on the mountain right they they don't understand it at all no and and that's knowledge that you've got to have you can't go to you can't go be a, a denver broncos fan and not know who's on the team and not know the rules of the game and not know you know that kind of stuff and we invest our time and our energy into so many things, and oftentimes they're misguided. For instance, and I'll, and I'll cover the last one, then I'll say for instance, the last tenet is democracy of hunting. The, this tenet is inspired by Theodore Roosevelt's idea that open access to hunting would result in many benefits to society. This tenet supports access to firearms and the hunting industry, of which most funding for conservation is derived. The democracy of hunting is what we strive for when we talk about the Second Amendment, when we talk about laws, rules, and regulations. But most importantly to me, to my point about the outdoorsman days, about who the hell we elect and who we put into office to make sure that they are adhering to the principles and guidelines that have been established over the course of the last 125 years. Right. That's important. If it, even if there's an, a you legislator— You know what's scarier than that, though, Dan, is some of the numbers I've seen on— the number of hunters that actually vote? Oh, it's sickening. 26%? Yes. Does that sound familiar? Uh, depending on what state and depending on what exactly. issue. But I've heard somewhere in the low 20s to the mid 50s, depending on the issue and depending on if it has to do with wildlife or not. We're more than likely drawing out people during wildlife ballot initiatives or legislative issues when it pertains to wildlife. Yeah. But just because it doesn't pertain to wildlife now doesn't mean the elected officials don't turn around and vote on wildlife legislation next year, the year after, or the year after. And by the end of the t next time, when you want to vote them back out or in, 
it might be too damn late. You already might have lost something at the legislative level. All right. Yeah. So moving we've, along, we've gone through we've gone through the tenants. Are is a state wildlife agency bound in any way to manage wildlife in accordance to the wildlife or the North American model? Each state game agency has their own mission that they adhere to for a variety of reasons. They're mm -hmm. written into their guidelines and bylaws and state constitution. Colorado doesn't specifically say that they adhere to the North American model, but all of the tenants that, that apply to the management of wildlife or the mission of Colorado Parks and Wildlife are pretty much set in stone. And it's a good reference because they say that we do this, say the democracy of hunting, or that we eliminate game markets. Those are components that fall under the model. But I don't know of anybody specifically that, that calls out the model as a governing factor or the Bible of what their management objectives are because they've got their own mission. And a lot of that is legal jargon that pulls into, you know, state management and, mm -hmm. and, and fiduciary duties and budgetary issues and so forth. Uh, but they all adhere to the principle, uh, to the practice of it. And, and that's what we've been arguing for to say, look, you represent us. And for, for Christ's sake, you do in, uh, represent everybody else. But the wildlife has to have a set of tenants that you regulate and that you manage and that you yeah. adhere to for model objectives. Well, the, the reason I ask that question is, is I've already talked to some people that are frustrated because uh, they want to know where, why CPW isn't coming out and, and saying, hey, you know, this is, we've got the science here that says um, uh, mountain lion hunting is good, bobcat trapping is good, all this stuff is good. We're, we've got all these, and people are frustrated. It's like, we pay, you know, you, <laughs> I heard you used to hear this all the time as a conservation officer. I pay your salary. You represent me. Mm -hmm. You know, so why isn't C, aren't, why aren't CPW employees stepping up and saying, hey, this is totally unreasonable. We need to be hunting. We need to be trapping. It's all part of the North American model. It's predator management is good. Why aren't they doing that? You know what app I use on my phone more than any other app besides the podcast app to listen to this here podcast? I use Onyx. Onyx Maps is the most comprehensive mapping system for hunters on the market today. I use it all the time. When I was in New Mexico, I was looking at 40,000 acres of ranch that I needed to learn. I flip open Onyx and just start studying, studying the map. When I'm riding trails, I put the tracking app on. It helps me get around in strange country. I could mark water sources, food sources, bear sign, just all kinds of options within Onyx. You need to check out Onyx Maps by going to houndsmanxp.com. Click on the link on our sponsor page. You'll go right to Onyx Maps, and when you check out, enter the code HXP20, and you will get 20% off of your order. Know where you stand with Onyx. Uh, we had a meeting with uh, the Department of Natural Resources and Colorado Parks and Wildlife and uh, representatives of the governor's office on Wednesday. And that question was pretty much brought up to the, the director. And I don't want to throw the, the director out with the bathwater because I think, I think Jeff Davis is doing the yeoman's work of trying to navigate and thread that needle appropriately for multiple sides of the equation. Mm -hmm. He was hired. He's only been there for four months, and he, and he jumped into a, a, a basket of crap. Um, but – 
he works at the pleasure of the of the governor, mm-hmm. as do all the other employees because they are state employees under the governor's watch and purview. The reason that they don't is because the governor will tell them not to, and they are they they to follow practice and protocol and procedure and authoritative uh, uh, display of action. I guess they will do what the governor says. If the governor says you can speak, they will speak. If the governor says you won't, you won't. And that's the problem that we have in the structure that we have here is we have a, a enterprise agency that's funded by license dollars itself. Mm-hmm. Some of that is allocated through the Colorado State Legislature because they're not just going to give a state agency free run to do willy-nilly no matter how much money you, you raise. Right. I said on the Wildlife Council the messaging component of CPW and sportsman dollars. And we have to turn around and go to the general assembly on money that we've been allocated for to make sure that we can spend it. That's government practice. We as a private council can speak to some degree outside of the purview of what CPW might have, but we still have statutory requirements and restrictions that we have to adhere to because that's the way the original legislation was written up. We can say and talk about the benefits of hunting and fishing, CPW can be benign and talk 30,000 foot level about the benefits of hunting and fishing. They might be able to engage in some sort of conversation about, you know, we're doing this for the good of the people and the good of the wildlife. But when it comes into controversial legislation or ballot driven initiatives, they will pretty much work on the pleasure of the governor and what the governor decides what, what they're going to be able to speak upon. Right. Right. And I mean, any person that, that, you know, if you're talking to your biologist and he says, Hey, I can't comment on that. It's not because it's not his fault. It's it's not because he he agrees or disagrees with what you're saying. For him to speak to you, he's going to have to have a letter of resignation in one hand and tell you what he wants. You know, tell you what you want to hear. Exactly. So, and that applies to biologists, the game wardens, anybody that's a CPW employee at this point. I so. think I think whether they're a cashier at the front desk at sixty sixty Broadway or if they are a regional manager or an area wildlife manager or a district wildlife manager or a biologist, uh, they're going to watch their P's and Q's. And I've been through this process since 1992 on the Barrett Initiative, Initiative 10. In 1996, Amendment 14, when we lost trap in here, uh, the wolf issue, Proposition 114 in 2020, and now this. And I will tell you that that because of historical precedent and the operational components of, of state government, uh, unless the guy was planning on putting his retirement papers in 30 days from now anyway, these guys are not going to talk because they're going to damage the opportunity for them to engage in the yeoman's work that they know that needs to go on behind the scenes to make things right, even though they're not, they've not been designated to speak in front of the scenes. Right, right. Yeah, that, the biologist's job and the employee's job, is, is a whole different podcast that we could do. <laughs> yeah. But they're crucial. And by and large, a lot of those people, except for the appointed bureaucratic heads of these departments, have no political agenda. Their only agenda is to do what's good for wildlife in the state of Colorado. That's exactly right. And, and while they need to adhere to the mission, the mission changes in the sense yes. to where the governor decides what is most important in the important topic of the, yep. of the day. And if, it, if things ever would swing back the other way, you're going to want those same people that are, that are 
you know, off the leash at that point yeah. to go do the right thing. So don't be, don't be uh, sacrificing or burning any any CPW employees at the stake. <laughs> you know, no, uh, no, they're, they're, they're these, just these caught guys up in are, they're they're busting their asses to do what's right for Colorado's wildlife and natural resources. You know, when you look at back in 1992 on Initiative 10, the Bear Initiative, we had 2.9 million people in the state. Yeah. 30 years later, we got pushing 6 million. Uh, these guys have become to the point of instead of mostly wildlife managers, they are people managers Absolutely. that deal with wildlife. Yep. Period. That's the number one issue is uh, wildlife human conflict was an, is the number one issue that wildlife managers. But it's a people business. You manage people more than you manage wildlife anymore. Yep. For sure. Yep. Well, let's let's lay out what the next year is going to look like. Dan, I think we <clears throat> we laid out the importance, and we're we're I can't stress it enough. It's all hands on deck. We got to have everybody on board, and this is what we're in for for twenty twenty four in Colorado, and it's coming to a town near state near you if it gets through here. Well, today was the legislative council hearing at the Colorado State Capitol on the first process of the initiative that they go through, and uh, that can be reviewed on the Colorado State General Assembly website. I think it's a 21-minute conversation. It's not very enlightening. It doesn't have very much um, enthusiastic, you know, I wouldn't go buy popcorn and beer and invite your friends over for it because it's probably right. not going to get any giant ratings. But it's the political process of what we deal with in initiative activity because it's the right of the general public to be able to do so. Whether I want people to sit behind a, a, a oak desk or I want them to drive a, an electric car or I want them to drink only Coors beer, if I wanted to run a ballot initiative, I could do any of that. It's just a matter of whether I go through the proper steps and procedures. Today was the first legislative council. The title board hearing, which is actually setting the title of the bill of, of the ballot language, will happen, I think it's on October 18th. Uh, we go through that process. And we have the opportunity to interject through legal counsel, not through public so let comment. So let me stop. I want to make sure I understand. Yes, sir. What was today? Today was setting the language? No. Today was actually reviewing the initiative that was originally distributed. And the legislative council has an opportunity to hear sides from the legislative argument or curiosity or questions. And then the proponents, the actual uh, initiators of the initiative, uh, to, to give their side of the story, to lay something out as to the groundwork of why they came up with the document mm -hmm. and why they want to take it to the people to vote. Okay. The second component is, and this is where we get into the next part of our equation, is the title board involvement. And that's where the title board itself would set a title, which it, it's complicated because to set the title, it has to be under a single subject rule. There can only be one subject within the title that the voters of Colorado would then in turn vote on in 2024. That way they don't confuse anything. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, they're trying to make sure that there's legal language and that the question of the title itself would appropriately ask the general public as to what they would favor. Shall this happen or will that happen in case that happens? It's the legal jargon that you've seen on all ballot initiatives. And if you haven't vote, you need to register to make sure that you get the hell out there to understand what we're talking about. But the, but the, but the blue book that will be done that is done before next year's election, 
that people get and they review. This is all the stuff on the ballot. This is how title is set on those individual ballot initiatives. I don't care whether it's a tax initiative or an abortion initiative or roads and bridges or schools. It goes through the same process. Every initiative goes through title board. At the first title board meeting, we will get a chance to listen to see what the the recommendations are for the for the title of the language that will actually go before the voters. Then we get a chance to appeal if we don't like it. Mm-hmm. The appeal process is about two weeks. Then we get to come back and see where they're at again, and then what they hear our arguments from a legal side. Not individual public comment. No interaction from the general public. It has to be legal representation of your uh, your side of the argument. We go through that appeal process, which then could be kicked down the road to another title board hearing, which would then be listening to other initiatives that have been introduced since this process has been going on. And then they would be addressing these title board questions or, or appeals. Mm-hmm. By the time that we get through, from my understanding, the second to the third appeal, which will probably be somewhere in the na- neighborhood of Thanksgiving, we have the opportunity that from our side, that if we're not fully satisfied with the way that the title comes out, that it doesn't seem like it's just bullet point clear, then we can turn around and appeal through the Colorado Supreme Court. Now, there's a Secretary of State component in all of this as well, because the Secretary of State would be the one who would then in turn certify this Mm -hmm. entire process for all the initiatives, just not ours. And to keep in mind, I mean, this this is Initiative 91. There's been 91 other initiatives that have been sent to this process so far for the 2024 election. How long does it take a person to – how much time do they have spent in a ballot booth in the state of Colorado to mm. vote on 91 initiatives? Holy well, smoke. Well, keep, keep in mind that not all of those will make it past the title board. Yeah. And as it was explained to me today, some of those might be same subject matter. but they'll, they'll combine sub- them. They'll, well, they'll submit six or seven different wordings to alleviate a lot of the, the hurdles that they have yeah. to go through to hopefully get through the title board more efficiently and effectively. So instead of saying shall, maybe one will say will, and instead of saying trophy, maybe they'll just say hunting. Or I'm just, Those are just examples. Yeah. On this case, to the best of our knowledge, they've only actually initiated one question, which is Initiative 91, that the title board is considering. We get through the Supreme Court side of things, which is not likely. If we go that far, it's not very likely that we're going to turn around and, and, and be very successful. Somewhere in that time frame of us trying to follow through with all of the stones unturned and make sure that we cover all of our bases, they will probably likely start gathering signatures. Mm-hmm. They need to gather signatures to be able to make it on the state ballot. They need to gather 124,232 or 34 signatures, I believe. Once they gather those, if they're successful, then there's a certification process. They have 180 days to gather those signatures from the time that they start, 180 days total. But it has to be done within 90 days of the first time when when the blue books would be actually drawn up and the ballots would be sent out or there would be mail-in ballots available. So there's a process, from my understanding, somewhere around the first part of August next year that that's when the drop dead deadline would be. Mm-hmm. But if they start gathering signatures in January or February, they might have to only have 100, 180 days from that time when they start. Yeah. The certification of those signatures 
they'll probably try to gather 160 or 170,000 because they want to make sure that they're all eligible and mm-hmm. they're all legible and that they all are residents of the state of Colorado and so forth. Right. Uh, so as long as they go through that proper process and that's not challenged, then they can start the process of their of what they might call the final run of their advertising campaign to try to put, put it across the finish line. Our hope is, and not letting the cat out of the bag, but there's other measures that can be adhered to for us to be able to challenge the certification of those signatures mm-hmm. or to figure out a way to engage in that signature gathering process from an educational component. Now, we can't, we can't hamper any efforts. I mean, we can't right. go out and threaten people. We can't turn around and go out and take ballots away well, from people. I think people. that's important yeah. that we bring that up <laughs> yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't be driving around your hound rigs, <laughs> yeah. you know, interfering yeah. with legal signature that, gathering yeah that, that, that'd be a bad deal a, a, election and signature hamper or tampering is something that you, we don't need on our side as a as an argument of what we're trying to do i know i know how houndsmen think man oh yeah i've seen him shut down state capitals before with hound rigs so. yeah so so we need to think about this very professionally with a level of civility and decorum we need to make sure that we are doing things in accordance with state law because I will tell you the thing that concerns me the most, this specific issue is probably what most would consider to be Armageddon in the state of Colorado and how it could trickle down to other states. But we still have a legislative process and a Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission process that we have to deal with at the same time. Mm-hmm. This ballot deal is going to cost a lot of money. It's going to cost a lot of brain power and a lot of bandwidth and a lot of effort and intestinal fortitude, strategy, calculation, smarts. But if they throw something at us at another level coming from the legislative side or the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission side, we need to be strategic because we need to win on those levels too while we're still trying to fight a ballot initiative. And what we don't need is some guy out there harassing signature gatherers or turn around and doing something nefarious on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or some other social media deal and showing their ass in an in a illegal, unethical, cruel, inhumane deal to give these sons of bitches arguments and ammunition to our efforts of what we're still turning around and fighting on the, on the yeah, front don't side. Don't be shooting holes in the boat. No, I, my, I mean, my whole recommendation, there's a lot of stuff that you can take pictures of. There's a lot of stuff you can take video of while you're hunting. And the, the last part of that, everybody wants to, they'll skip all the other valuable components of hunting to capture, you know, five seconds of a, of a lion coming out of a tree or a bear coming out of a tree. Keep your phone in your pocket. We all know what happens. We don't care. Uh, you know, it's not important. That is the least important part of a hunt. There's years, decades of preparation leading up to that point. That's the least important part. But yet, we've got way too many people that want to capture that moment. Not only do they want to capture it, Chris, uh, before they get back to the truck, they want the world, the world to know about it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, There's already a video floating around out there from a Colorado that's already been publicized. I got a copy of it the other day, Colorado Houndsman, and it's a compilation of all his kill shots that mm-hmm. he's put on social media. Mm-hmm. It's like, stop, you're killing us. Go, you know, go join. If you're such a tough guy, go join UFC, you know, start training for UFC. Yeah, that's the frustrating thing. Join the Marine Corps. I've had to fight this level pretty significantly, and I've been the tip of the spear on multiple levels, and 
and I won't get into the details of what we've had to do personally and professionally, but nothing is more troublesome and frustrating and actually offensive than to find out that the people that you're trying to do all of the work for, mm-hmm. that you're spending the time and effort and generating money and doing the testimonies and doing the backdoor scheduling of meetings and, and, and busting your ass and sacrificing your life. And when you don't even engage in that specific activity and you find that some guy is unintentionally sabotaging you because he wants to be the guy on YouTube. Yep. I don't have patience for it. And it's not a threat and it's not an ultimatum. But I will tell you, at the age that I'm at and what I'm doing for a living and what I'm trying to do on behalf of everybody else, I hope that I don't run across guys during this campaign that do that similar thing because it won't be a friendly outcome. They won't be my friends at the start and they won't be my friends at the end because they're doing it to every single one of us and they're not doing it to houndsmen. They're not doing it to bobcat trappers. They're doing it to sportsmen. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. So after the, let's, we've got through the, uh, the title board stuff. What's the next step? What's that next interim period? You said something about 180 days of signature gathering. That's going to be a media blitz. That's going to be a media blitz, and it's going to be a he said, she said, finger pointing, woulda, shoulda, coulda, back and forth. If you read anything in Colorado or on social media, you can see the things that have come out in the last 48 hours from from the op-eds that have been done in the Denver Post or the stories that have been done in the Grand Junction Sentinel or the Colorado Sun or the Pueblo Chieftain. If you just look at what they're actually doing and what they're putting together – Carol Baskins now, the gal that took down Tiger King or something, I mean, she's on board and she turned around and put an op-ed in the Denver Post yesterday, Wednesday, I guess, that was completely false, talking about mountain lions and bobcat meat and USDA approval and there's no lion and bobcat on any restaurant plates and, and the, the pathogens and the, the vi- viruses that that meat carries. And I mean, it's... What do you yeah. mean there's none on restaurant plates? There aren't any wild mule deer on, on that's plates the, that's either. The, that's the problem. You know, she doesn't even understand the tenets of the... That's the market part. That's why it's in there. But, That's why we adhere to it. But she's, she's catering to that voter public that is ignorant in that 80% that doesn't understand the process and procedures of regulated harvest and wildlife management. Well, the goose tartare that she's eaten at her highfalutin parties didn't come from Canada geese or snow, snow geese flying south from Canada. No. It came from farm-raised geese. Yep. <laughs> yeah. The, Same way with fish and salmon and and buffalo and deer and all this other stuff that you could find on a menu. It's farm raised people. It's farm raised. Well, and 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 the, and the the point that that the ignorant public and I say ignorant in a in a in a nice way. Ignorant, it's just ignorant means uneducated. It means uneducated. Stupid is when you refuse to educate yourself. Yes. Now I would say that Carol Baskins falls into the second category, and I would th- <laughs> I would think that some of her counterparts probably fall into the first category. Right. And 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 so ignorant and being educated after you find out that you didn't know the truth is the best way that people can turn around and address their ignorance on the landscape. I didn't know that. Well, then I found out about it. I'm not sure that I found out about it. But when you were told, you were shown, you were seen, you ate it, you tasted it, you breathed it, you crapped it, and then you still did something nefarious about it, then you're stupid. Yeah. And and I'm finding that more and more of our counterparts on both sides of the aisle are somewhat sometimes stupid because they don't think about their actions and they don't find out the truths about the facts. Yeah. So let's talk about what houndsmen can be doing right now. What do we, hunters in general, I'm not even going to say houndsmen. This is a houndsman XP podcast. I talk to you guys all the time, but I'm hoping that, you know, 
Joe bow hunter that, that has no desire to ever go out and mount line hunt is listen to this podcast because this involves you. So what can we as a hunting public do right now? What can we get started on? Because we're already behind the eight ball. We're already behind the eight ball. And what I will say is, I mean, what they did in Maine to stop the bear hunting initiative, what they did in Arizona to stop the houndsmen from being able to harvest mountain lions, and what they're trying to do in, in New Mexico, um, those are efforts that everybody can learn off of. But they have to educate themselves. They have to figure out where they want to send the money. I mean, mm -hmm. there's there's a thousand different organizations out there that that do a lot of the yeoman's work on the landscape for habitat and conservation. <clears throat> Not every one of them fight. Right. We, we might think that we pay our twenty five or fifty bucks and get a free knife and a and a magazine subscription. That that's doing what's necessary. It has to be more than that. And I'll tell you, I mean, the coalition that I'm part of which is the Colorado Wildlife Conservation Project. We just had a meeting this morning, 30 different individuals from major organizations on that. They are 501c3s. We are a 501c4. To the average person, that doesn't make a rat's ass bit of difference. The C4 allows us to, to educate, inform, and engage in political decision-making processes that pertain to our uh, specific mission of the organization. A C3 cannot do that. A C3 is limited to maybe 10%. Right. And if they're spending millions or tens of thousands of dollars on the habitat side of things, they don't have the money to turn around and kick in because then it takes away from their other operational uh, segments of the structure of their organization. What people can do is, is start rat-holing some money and putting it where it needs to go. And it needs to go right now to a cause that we started on the process. And I'm not saying – it's hard for me to ask for money – but it's really hard for me not to ask for money. It's time. And, and so we bellied up the first $150,000 on Tuesday to start the engagement at the state level through this ballot title board process. Mm -hmm. it's, it takes much smarter people than I and you. There's title board attorneys. That's Speak their, for yourself, the, Dan. Well, then I should have hired you because <laughs> you probably wouldn't have been as expensive. <laughs> and if you would have been, so we, we just need to make it make sure that we're on the same page here. Uh, we, we hired, we, we, we fired the first shot across the bow. Yeah. We hired a very, very respected campaign uh, advisement council team that is going to help guide us through the initial stages, which we will likely then turn over the operational aspect of that to a issues committee that we will form with all of these other organizations and interested individuals. Now, you don't want a 1,000 people on the damn committee because you'll right. never get a decision made. Right. But the issues committee will be very strategically aligned with the, the directive of the people that we hire, the organization that we hired. We, we will have a, a campaign structure, a campaign plan, uh, we also have a defense and an operational plan because the thing that we have to consider in my mind is what do you have? If you're going all out on one direction to turn around and figure out your messaging, your target audience, uh, the message that you have to have based upon the question that the title board came up with. And all of a sudden, I'm just throwing something out hypothetically, that, that your opposition pulls an audible and they do a different thing. If you put all of your resources right on the bat until something is final, that, that's where you have to end up at, you have no way to turn around and deal with that flanking of your troops. Right. Yep. 
if if something happened on our side, and I'm just thinking outside the box, some idiot guy on our side turns around and makes news that is not positive for us, or one or two mountain lions turn around and attack a skier or some kid jogging on a trail, we have to figure out how to capitalize on those. You know, I say I say sensationalize it, but not sensationalize it capitalize on the instance because that's everyday stuff. Right. We have idiots out there doing stuff. Which goes stuff. to the third part where it says poses no uh, benefit to public safety. Exactly. Exactly. Mountain lions are chewing on people all the time in California. Mm-hmm. You know, we've so had many I don't instances. Know how you could be that ignorant not to recognize We've that. had many instances here in Colorado where there's Absolutely. been. Absolutely. You know, we've, we've had bear killings. We've had lion killings. We've had bear and lion attacks. Yep. And, uh, and now that we're introducing wolves into, into the state through the other ballot initiative back in 2020, uh, which is another podcast and another podcast. Yeah, yeah. Now that we brought those in and we're trying to figure out how to put those on the ground, there's going to be some competition on the landscape, not just for prey. Did you say on the ground or in the ground? I said on the ground. You did say on the ground. Yeah. Okay, I just I want to make sense. sure. Yeah. I want uh-huh. to make sure. Yeah. But but there, there's going to be competition on the landscape, not just for prey from those predators, but also from the predators on our side and the other side trying to get this thing across the, the, the finish line or to stop it. Right. We don't need to sensationalize stuff that doesn't need to be dramatized. We need to make sure that we turn around and take the facts. We do it meticulously. We lay out a strategy. We move forward with it. And if we need to call it Omaha – then we turn around and go one side That's or the right. other. You gotta be you gotta be light on your feet and you gotta I think it's doable, Dan. I, I want everybody we've talked about all the bad stuff. We've talked about, you know, how much money we need, but I know that this is doable. I watched I watched other organizations raise a million dollars back in the eighties, you know, when they needed it. There are ways to do this. So I don't think we ever said, where can somebody, if I'm going to go out there and start gathering money and shaking Aunt Gertie down at Thanksgiving dinner for five bucks to help me out, where can I send that money where I know that the money's going to go to the right place? Every dime that we raise for the Coloradoans for responsible wildlife management will go directly into this as the first and foremost opportunity for our engagement and activation. Mm -hmm. At the same time, whoever sends money in, or contributes through PayPal or donates on our website or whatever, needs to understand that we still need to have operational components to fight at the legislature and to fight at the, at the Parks and Wildlife Commission at the same time. It's all in one. Right. We, don't have a, we don't have a mechanism within CRWM. You send us 50 bucks and say, I want it to go to this. Because that might relate to this and it might come back to that. There's a spider web effect that all of this is intertwined in some capacity. But I will guarantee you that every dollar that is sent will be spent on the issues that we need to deal with within the operational aspects of the erosion and degradation of the North American model. And specifically, at this point in time, Initiative 91, until we have to call it Omaha and then go in some other direction temporarily to to hold the wolves at bay, no pun intended. Because that's what's going to happen. I guarantee that's what they're going to do. So getting back to the, the question. SaveTheHuntColorado.com is the website. Mm-hmm. There's a payment button on there. You can donate. You can donate monthly. You can donate in one big increment. You can donate in a bunch of small ones. Or you can send a check. You can get the address to send a check on the website. 
SaveTheHuntColorado.com goes to the Coloradoans for responsible wildlife management. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are located in Canyon City, Colorado. Uh, we, we organize and structure as a 501c4 under the Colorado State uh, guidelines and with the federal guidelines. And we are the only organization that has lobbying representation at the Colorado State Capitol at this point in time. Now, I know the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is trying to figure out how they can put some sort of lobbyist at the Capitol on behalf of the RMEF. Um, but we are the only one that has three full-time lobbyists. Nobody else has one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that we started this organization for that, for messaging, education, and representation. Yeah. That, was, that was in 2017, the year before Governor Polis got elected, because we knew that if he got elected and that, that his husband was a full-blown left-wing animal rights activist, that we better have something in place. We didn't think that we would be in the, in the fight that we are now based upon the successes that what we've had in 19, 20, 21, and 22. But these bastards won't stop. They're not going to stop. And we shouldn't stop either. And that's, I'll just say it. I'm tired of seeing tough guy posts and all this other stuff on, on Facebook. If you don't show up for this, find somebody else's podcast to listen to. I'm not going to stop talking about this. I'm not going to have stop having guests like you on here, Dan. We are going to put our foot on the gas and keep the pedal all the way down to the floor until this thing is resolved in 2024. We're going to be sustainable. You know, we'll we'll still run some of our normal programming with some. You know, uh, we never want to stop talking. Stop talking to to great houndsmen and people that have great stories. But Dan, this is. I'm telling you, this is a battleground issue for 2024. It, if there's a victory here, the next victory is going to be easier. Every time we let them win, it becomes easier for them to win because mm-hmm. they start tweaking and roadmapping, and we got we got to fight. We got to fight, and we got to fight. People need to dig deep down inside. Um, you're coming up on the on the hunting and trapping seasons. You're coming up on the holiday seasons when we get together with our friends and relatives and nobody's supposed to discuss politics. And then right after that, miraculously, when we're all feeling good about everything, we go into every state's legislative session and we start dealing with commission sessions yeah. and the politics that, that, that dig us down. It's a good damn thing that Christmas and Thanksgiving aren't in January and February because people would be pissed off and be giving lumps of coal in everybody's stockings. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're, we're, at a, we're at a point that people have to dig deep down inside to figure out why do they do what they do? How do they want to continue to support it? Do they want to fight for it? Do they want somebody else to fight on their behalf? Or do they want to stand That's by? That's the thing, man. I know, I know thousands of houndsmen that, that would never think about taking charity or you know, we're, we're resourceful. We're, we take care of ourselves. We do all this stuff. But when you're not showing up for these meetings, I know, Dan, you're not a houndsman. Nope. But you're in the middle of this fight, and you're, you're putting your energy out there for somebody else. So if you're a houndsman and you're sitting back thinking, well, I'll just let Dan Gates take care of it, you're a damn freeloader. Mm-hmm. That's, I'll just call it like it mm-hmm. is. You're a freeloader, and if you, we've got to get people in this fight. I'm a sportsman first. I'm a conservationist. I'm a trapper. I'm an elk hunter. 
I own a bow, but I wouldn't class it myself as a archery hunter. I want a I want a bow at outdoorsman days from John Vernetti. Did you? And, and now I now I guess I'm an archer. Yeah. Uh, I've traveled around the world and been fortunate enough to to do so in my life. I've traveled around the North American continent. I've hunted in about nine different states. I don't have a lot of money. I just saved up for different stuff. I started this fight in 2007 because I saw people that were trying to do things and I thought that they were doing it incorrectly. I thought that they lost things that they shouldn't have lost because they didn't reach out. They didn't broaden the net. They didn't expand their horizons. They didn't turn around and try to make a bigger footprint on the landscape. And I thought that we could. When I became president of the Colorado Trappers and Predator Hunters Association, I'd sat on the board and then was vice president. And then lo and behold, I was president because on a low hanging fruit or hangman's noose or whatever. <laughs> but I started to engage from the trapper side, but I immediately changed with our board and our members, the name from the Colorado Trappers to the Colorado Trappers and Predator Hunters because there was more Predator Hunters out there than Trappers. Mm -hmm. In conjunction with that, I started trying to build an outside coalition. And there again, a lot of organizations want to fight for posterity on the landscape, position themselves. They're talking about membership and they're talking about you know, fundraisers and they're talking about things that don't pertain to all the other organizations. They take, they pertain to their wheelhouse. They stay within their blinders. The first time that we actually fought in 2009 as my represent, rep, representation of the trappers at the time, first thing I did, I just called all my buddies that were members of all these other organizations. They weren't part of our organization. I said, I need you to turn around and belly up to the bar and show up to this commission meeting. They did. That was the start of an opportunity for a coalition of at least like-minded individuals that were willing to get together when it was necessary. Now, we're not the most formidable bunch of ba bastards on the planet, right? but we are in a position to set the tone and the narrative and create a model that if everybody else would separate their differences and set aside you know, the, the, the insecurities that they've got, they can come together. We can be the most formidable action-oriented group in the country. 13 million guys and women that are out there turn around and trying to pursue our, our avocations. If, if only half of us stood up about hunting and fishing and we had the, the NRA and the rifle guys and, the, and the, the target shooter guys, if only half of us stood up, you know how, you know how much the legislature would care about our voice? Exactly. You know, you know why? Because it doesn't just benefit us. It benefits the public trust doctrine that everybody benefits off of. Every single citizen of the United States benefits off of what hunters and anglers and conservationists bring to the table. We don't do a very good job of telling our story, but I've been trying to tell it here in a state where we've already lost a bunch of crap over the last 30 years. We would have been very successful if we would have done this 30 years prior, because when these new 3 billion people moved into this state, we could have educated them on the practices, policies, and procedures of science-based wildlife management in the North American model. But we got so far behind the eight ball that they came in like the Oklahoma land rush or locusts on a cornfield. Right. There was no way you could educate them. There was no way, shape, or form. I don't want to see the rest of the country fall by the wayside, specifically the West, because of the big game component that we have with bighorn sheep and moose and mountain lions and bears. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see the rest of the country fall by the wayside. So if we're the epicenter, hey, bring it on. But if we don't get the support from the rest of the country, it's coming to your door next. And I won't be around long enough to turn around and fight it because I'm on the latter part of my stages. Mm -hmm. We need to figure out people to get involved that care monetarily, 
intestinally, socially, economically, and structurally are in their own head and not always say, I don't have the time. Everybody's got 24 hours in the day, Chris. They can figure out when the hell they're going to do it and how they're going to do it. And I'm trying to do a motivational speech at this point in time. But when you look in the mirror, what do you see? I see the enemy because I want to beat their ass and I want to shove them down. If you're looking for something else, then you need to figure out some other thing to engage in because somebody's there to take it away. And if you're not going to turn around and stand up for it, somebody else is going to come get it. You might as well just give it away. That's my argument. Yep. I agree with you 100%. Just if you're not willing to stand up, just start listing your stuff for sale right now on Facebook and and quit. Get out of the way. Well, you could come to Outdoorsman Days next year on August the 9th and 10th and sell all your crap out really quick and then turn around and take it back home, take the money back home. So There you go. Uh, that, that's not what we're asking. We need, we need <laughs> I know. To, I, don't, I don't want anybody to do that. I, this is a, something that is so deeply ingrained in my soul. And um, that's why I'm sitting in Colorado talking to you, Dan. So I appreciate your time. I know that you're a busy guy. Your phone's been blowing up. And um, a lot of people need to talk to you because this is a hot-button issue. I want to make sure that that, uh, I have the opportunity to convey as much information as what we possibly can. And as we get it, we will put it on our website. There's some vacancies and, and omissions on the website now because we're still in flux. I mean, we're still in this beginning processes. Kind of hard to answer questions when you don't have a, a story to answer. But I want to make sure that I deliver you messages to where you can convey to your listening public and to where it can maybe spread out farther than that. Right. Because uh, this, isn't, this isn't a fight you're going to win now. It's not going to be one for 13 months. But it's like the first round of a title bout. And, uh, and the, I think it can be won. You know, I really do. And, and I damn sure know that if we don't try to win – what good are we? Exactly. Exactly. I'm not wired that way at all. I appreciate the time and the opportunity. Look forward to speaking with you. And I'd, anybody that has a question, they can get to, get to our contact information with Save the Hunt Colorado, and all the information is on the website. Great. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this part one of many with Dan Gates and updates for on, on this Proposition 91 or Initiative 91 in the state of Colorado. It is a battleground deal. I've said that. You're going to get tired of hearing me saying it, but daggone it, we need to figure out. we got to, we got to identify what's worth fighting for in our lives, and as houndsmen, um, this is worth fighting for. It's a good fight. And it's a, it's, it's a fight worth being in and giving our 100%. So that's all I got for this week. Thanks for tuning in to the Houndsman XP podcast. This is Fair Chase.